Hi, Gateway. How are you doing? I'm sure it's been a very strange week for you, as it has been for me, for everyone around the world. What an extraordinary time we are living in. Uh, what a very strange Mother's Day this is. I can't see my mum. She is uh, uh, in Perda with my father, uh, as is the case for all those who are over 70 and they're sticking to the rules, so sadly we're not going to be able to see them today. And I know that everybody's in the same situation, so we're in this together, fitting it together. Uh, if you're not part of Gateway Church and you've just found your way to this video somehow, you're already welcome as well. I hope that this will bless you and help you as we look at what Peter teaches in his first letter. Uh, before we get to that, just to give some more thoughts about where we are and what's happening in church life and more broadly in society at the moment, um, it is really going to be easy for us to develop bad habits at this time in terms of just unhealthy lifestyles, physically, emotionally, spiritually, the whole lot. And uh, we need to fight that because actually this is a time when there's also a real opportunity to develop healthy habits. And I'm thinking not just about how we get through now, but I'm also thinking three months, six months, a year ahead when we're back into more normal kind of life and what kind of people we're going to be. And we want to be people who've developed ha habits which are really going to help us rather than things which might trip us up. So let, let's, uh, let's think about that. Let's find healthy rhythms of doing life. Grace and I are talking about how we can do this in our family in terms of rhythms of when we're working, when we're resting, when we're playing, when we're exercising, when we're on screens, when we're not on screens, all that kind of stuff. So it's worth thinking about that. Uh, it's a real time to build community, a, a connection I've got with my neighbours, which I've never had before. People I had no idea lived in my street, but we're now all talking together on a WhatsApp group. Just extraordinary. It's a time for us to really develop some resilience in our households and in our neighbourhoods. And in terms of thinking about the future, this might actually be one of the really positive things that comes out of this. If we learn to cooperate more in our immediate neighbourhoods and communities, if we actually get to know who our neighbours are, if we work out how to help and serve each other, that could be just amazing for the future in terms of all our health and the well-being of the nation. Also, in terms of what we're doing with this, we are doing digital church. We've put as much as we can online in our communication and, of course, doing this Sunday morning time through uh, YouTube and through technology. But again, in thinking about the future, this isn't something we're doing just as another option, another way of doing church. Church really is about gathering together physically. This is an extraordinary time that we can't do that. And uh, so I wouldn't want us to fall into a habit where we think that doing stuff digitally is somehow a, a substitute, which is a good substitute for actually physically being together. I'm really grateful te for technology, which means that we can stay in contact and do this kind of thing now. But again, longer term, uh, we mustn't lose the habits of actually meeting together. And we're going to have to work and think about that. Just the, the stuff we're training ourselves to do at the moment in terms of not, not shaking hands and, and, and not being in the same room together and keeping two metres apart. We're going to have to unlearn all that stuff once the virus issue is passed and we can come back together again. Also, in terms of what I'm going to do now, I'm not planning for this to be a normal 35-minute sermon. Uh, what I'm going to do, what I'm planning to do is to speak and, and to break this into three parts, which means that you can then stop and if you're on your own, uh, think about what I've said and pray. If you're with others, do the same with them. So it'd be a bit more like a, a, what we might do in a, in, a, in a small group, in a life group situation where you talk for a while and then discuss for a while, pray for a while. I think that would just help us in terms of how we handle this. 
Let me read from Scripture. We are in 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. And today I'm going to read from verse 12 through to verse 19. Peter writes this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter is writing this letter to exiles. These are people who are experiencing hardship and Peter here describes that as a fiery ordeal. You know, being a Christian in the world can be tough. It was certainly tough for these believers and in our world it's often tough being a Christian and this passage feels so relevant, especially relevant today with what we're going through. The coronavirus means that we are all suffering, we're all affected. Even if you still are physically healthy, we are being affected. It's, there's a cost, there's a fiery ordeal in what we're going through in terms of not being able to be together, having to change our habits, having plans cancelled, uh, lots of people losing money. I'm sure those of you who are running your own businesses, you're feeling huge pressure at this time. People in other situations seeing uh, real financial pressures potentially coming along. Uh, just thinking myself, booking flights to the States for my family, not sure I'm going to get that money back. We're, we're dealing with these kind of issues, aren't we? It feels like a fiery ordeal. And so we should take hold of this passage and apply it to ourselves and use it to strengthen ourselves at this time. So. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for you as you're watching this video that God would strengthen you. Lord, I thank you so much for your inspired word. Thank you that you did inspire the Apostle Peter to write these words. And they were written for that particular group of people in uh, Turkey 2,000 years ago, but written also for our teaching, edification and help. And I pray that we would be strengthened through your words today. I pray whoever's watching this, wherever they're watching it, whatever their particular circumstances are, however fiery the ordeal might feel for them, Lord God, would you strengthen and give grace, I ask. Amen. Now, when we get into this passage, and as we link it and think about and apply it to what's happening in our world today with the coronavirus, it's important that as we do that, we remember the context in which Peter is originally writing this, that the people he's writing to are going through a fiery ordeal, but that's not a fiery ordeal of sickness, it's not a fiery ordeal of societal shutdown because of a virus. It's actually to do with suffering that has come as a result of hostility they're experiencing because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And there will be a time when this virus, praise God, is passed. And when that happens, we Christians are still called to live as faithful exiles. So as we focus on the immediate crisis, as we think about the immediacy of the fiery ordeal we're experiencing now, we shouldn't lose uh, sight of the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that we are called to be faithful witnesses to Christ even though that will feel at times like we are alienated from the world around us. And so we do need to develop these godly habits and we need to develop spiritual resilience so that we're able to endure at times of fiery ordeal. Now when Peter wrote this letter to the churches, uh, the people, the, the Christians have been experiencing hostility, persecution in a number of different ways from a number of different fronts. As we read through the book of Acts, we see examples of the kind of hostility that they had faced. Uh, firstly, that they had faced opposition from unbelieving Jews. When the apostles went to a new town, they would go to a Jewish synagogue first, and sometimes they were received gladly, and the people responded at other times as real hostility. And as you read through the book of Acts, you read about times when uh, there was hostility from their own people, the Jewish people, read about uh, the, the beatings and the stonings the apostles endured, and so they had that opposition from their own people, and if you get opposition, hostility from your own people, your own family, that is especially hard. The early believers had also experienced hostility, persecution from those who were in power. In Acts 12, we read about how Herod, the king, had had James executed. And then there was also persecution which came not from those who were ruling and not from the Jewish people, but from uh, Gentile people. I think about the story about Paul in Philippi when there was a little slave girl who was oppressed by a demon and uh, Paul cast the demon out of her and that meant that she could no longer tell people's fortunes, which meant that she was no longer earning money for her master. And as a consequence of that, uh, Paul and Silas get arrested, get beaten, get put in prison, all the rest. So the church, the early believers, had experienced opposition and persecution from a number of different directions and, and that hostility, that opposition, that persecution was fiery. When Peter talks here about this being a fiery ordeal, it's the same kind of phrase that he uses at the beginning of the letter in a very positive way. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 6, Peter says, you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven or the tested genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says there, as he introduces the letter, your faith is being tested like gold in a furnace. And he says here in 1 Peter 4 that you're experiencing a fiery ordeal. There's a, a testing, there's a, a refining, there's a purifying that's going on. And the thing about fiery ordeals, the thing about tests, is that they can come as a real surprise. The people that Peter is writing to were living in the cities in which they'd been born and raised. They were used to being part of the normal population, going along with everybody else, doing the things that everybody else did. They were used to being part of the majority in that sense. They'd felt right at home. Now they've put their faith in Jesus, and that means that suddenly they are part very much of a minority. The vast majority of people around them don't believe what they believe. The 
vast majority of people around them don't have the same values that they now hold. The vast majority of people around them don't look at life in the way that they're now looking at life. And the thing is that minorities experience things differently. We see that in our own society. Minority groups have a different experience of life from the majority. And often that can mean that minority groups feel vulnerable. Also, minorities tend to see things differently, have a, just have a different perspective, a different kind of vision on things. I often see things actually with more clarity than the majority do. And we can apply that to ourselves because we should expect to experience difference as Christians. And we need to be clear in our vision at this time. We can see the needs there are in our society, the immediate needs because of the coronavirus and more broadly speaking, and we need to act. We are called to be a people of vision. We're called to be a prophetic people. We can do that in a whole number of ways. We do it in how we can take the lead in initiating in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, in showing the love of Christ to people. We need to have clear vision, prophetic insight, we need to act as those who are different. And Peter assures these believers that suffering actually isn't, might have come as a surprise, but it really shouldn't for Christians, because there's a sense in which when we suffer, that binds us to Christ. This is what he says in verse 13. Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Participate in the sufferings of Christ. If you suffer as a Christian, somehow it's actually connecting you more to Jesus. But then he says, second part of that verse, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's a, there's a way somehow in which when we suffer and we feel that connection with Christ and his sufferings, that also helps to guarantee in our hearts that we will share in the glory of God. John Calvin the great reformer from 500 years ago says this. This is a, a great uh, passage of Calvin's commentary on Peter, which it's worth us thinking about. John Calvin writes this. Peter teaches us that the government of the Church of Christ has been so divinely constituted from the beginning that the cross has been the way to victory, death the way to life, and that this has been clearly testified there is therefore no reason why afflictions should unreasonably depress us as though we were miserable under them, since the Spirit of God declares us blessed. Christians must suffer many troubles before they enjoy glory, and afflictions are not evils because they have glory attached to them. That's an amazing unpacking of what Peter is saying here, that we're not to be uh, miserable under our afflictions, but to see that somehow God will bring us into an experience of glory through them. When, when Christians suffer, we're identifying with Jesus, and we do so knowing that one day we're going to share in the glory of Christ. We're going to be part of the victory parade at the end of the ages when Jesus comes again and he's revealed as Lord and King of all, and there's that great victory parade, that great triumphal procession. We're going to be part of it. We're going to be in it with him, and this makes it possible to rejoice even in times of real hardship. The Bible is full of examples of people doing that. Christian history is full of examples of people doing that. That at this time of fiery ordeal, 
There can be things which are happening to us which worry us, which lower our mood, which make us, yes, feel anxious, maybe fearful, but at the same time, we can cling to Christ, knowing that he suffered. When we suffer, we're somehow being joined to him, identifying with him, and we can do that with the hope of glory. And that means that even in the midst of the fiery ordeal, there should be something about us, something in us, which enables us to rejoice. Let's join in with Jesus in his suffering and in his glory. Now, I'd like you to take a break there for a few minutes, have a talk about what I've said, maybe look at that Calvin quote again, think about that, spend some time praying. If you're with somebody else, talk it through together and then pray together and then come back and watch the second part of this talk. Okay, I hope you had a good time talking, if you're with somebody else, or thinking if you're on your own and praying and knowing the Lord's help at this time. Let's pick this up again at verse 14. Peter says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We're picking up here where we left off in the first part and seeing how suffering and glory are somehow intertwined. This is a real challenging truth for us that there can be blessing in suffering. I don't know about you, well, I know about you, I assume you're the same as me. I'd much rather just not have the suffering and just have the blessing. But that doesn't seem to be how life is, and it's not what Scripture seems to say to us we should expect. Part of the blessing I think we can receive in suffering is actually that by the Spirit of God being at work in us, we are empowered to act in a different way. At this time, we are seeing people do some amazing things. We're seeing an upwelling of kindness in many areas, but we're also seeing the negative side, the dark side of humanity. We're seeing that in people buying more than their fair share of stuff and clearing the shelves rather than thinking about others. Uh, I've just seen it in terms of some of the irritability I can detect in myself and others around me and uh, out in the streets. You get that sense sometimes of people are on edge, which makes people irritable. But as those who are filled with the Spirit of God, we are empowered to act differently. Let me give you a really extreme example of this. I can't remember where I found this example, but it's one I had in my notes during the First World War, an Armenian home was raided and looted by soldiers. The elderly parents were killed and the daughters were given to the soldiers, the oldest raped by the officer in command. She later became a nurse and found herself nursing a ward of enemy officers, one of whom was the man who had destroyed her family and raped her. He was gravely ill and she nursed him with exceptional devotion. A doctor told him that but for her, he would be dead. He recognized her and asked her why she hadn't left him to die. She replied, I am a follower of him who said, love your enemies. Now that is an extreme example from an extreme time in history, the uh, Armenian genocide in the First World War. But it's an illustration of how Christians can be empowered to forgive others and to bless others. The person who gets the last packet 
of loo roll ahead of you, rather than cursing them, you are empowered to bless them. And more than that, Peter says in these verses that the spirit of glory and of God rests on us. Verse 13, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's amazing. The Shekinah glory, that glory the Old Testament talks about, filling the temple, the glory of God now rests upon the people of God. We're the living stones being built into the living temple, and the glory of God rests on us. Amazing. Peter says here that some people deserve to suffer. If you're a criminal, even if you're a meddler, a troublemaker, well, punishment will come, and to be frank, you deserve it. But Christians who suffer, says Peter, are shrouded, covered, clothed with glory. That's such a reassuring promise that at this time, when everything seems to be falling away, we can know what it is to be shrouded, covered, clothed in the glory of God, the Spirit of God, the glory of God rests on you. Again, take a moment to think about that remarkable truth. Maybe apply it in your life. Maybe if you've been irritable with people this past week, take some time to think about that and ask God to help you and put grace into you and maybe ask for forgiveness. And let's pray. Pray that we would know more of the reality of the Spirit and the glory of God resting on us. Okay, we enter the last part of this talk and we're going to read verses 17 through to 19 again. Peter writes this, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Then he quotes from the book of Proverbs, If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. What is going on in the world? That's a question we're asking a lot at the moment. What's going on in the world? What's going on? And these verses help us to answer that question. What Peter says is that there is judgment. Judgment is coming, and that judgment cuts two ways. It cuts towards the church, and it also cuts towards those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's think about both those things. Firstly, what does it mean when Peter says that judgment is coming against the household of God, against God's church? Now, we know when Peter says the household of God, he does mean the church. Back in chapter 2, verse 5, Peter described how we are being built into a spiritual house. It's such, such an amazing, beautiful picture. We Christians are living stones being built into a living temple. We're a spiritual house filled with the Spirit of God, the glory of God resting on us. We are God's temple. So what does it mean then when Peter says that judgment is coming to the household of God, begins with the household of God? Now, it can't mean judgment of condemnation. We know from Scripture that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're forgiven. We're free. We're awash with an experience of God's grace for us, his lavish love towards us. I think what Peter means here is that there will be an evaluate, there is an evaluation of what we're producing. Is what we're producing good or 
not. Our, our salvation is secure. You put your trust in Jesus, your salvation is secure, but we are called to be faithful. We're called to be fruitful. Think about what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, where he describes how it's by grace you've been saved, not of works, not by your own efforts, it's grace. And then he goes on to say, you have been created to do good works which were prepared in eternity for you to do. Those two things hang together. Saved by grace, secure it in Christ, but made to do good works, made to be fruitful, made to be faithful. What is going to be the verdict on us at this time? What will God say about how we respond to what's happening in the world at this time? What will our neighbours say about how we respond at this time? Will we act as faithful exiles? Peter starts the letter by talking about the proven, the tested genuineness of our faith. In the passage we're looking at today, he talks about this fiery ordeal. It's the same imagery, this refining that's going on. There's a, a purifying, just as gold is put into the furnace to refine it and get out what is pure and lose the dross. What these believers are going through is designed by God, says Peter, to purify them, to refine them. To, they go through a fiery ordeal. The aim is that they come out pure, stronger, more beautiful, more fruitful. And the same is true for us at this time. As we go through this fiery ordeal, how are we going to come out of it? Are we going to come out of it compromised? Are we going to come out of it not looking so good? Or are we going to come out shining with more beauty, shining with more glory because of how our faith has been tested and proved to be genuine? We're looking to be refined so that we might be more like Jesus, that we might have a greater purity, a greater beauty, a greater glory about us. And you know, this, what's happening at the moment could be the very means by which God turns people to him. This, maybe God is doing something here. Perhaps revival really is coming, that thing which you've talked about and prayed for, some of us now for decades. Lord, send revival, move in power in our land, cause multitudes to turn to you in faith. Maybe God is shaking things in a way now and maybe God is purifying his church now in a way that means that revival might be just round the corner. Now, if God is doing that, and that's my prayer, if God is doing that, there needs to be a pure, faithful church who are ready to witness to the truth of who Jesus is and who are ready to welcome people in to the church of Jesus Christ. And so we need to be ready to be purified, refined, tested, and for our faith to be found genuine. But the second way that God is judging, says Peter, is that judgment will come, is coming, to those who reject the gospel. Having begun with the church, the church gets purified, judgment then moves outside the church to those who reject the gospel. And there is condemnation for those who reject the gospel. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there is condemnation for those who reject Christ Jesus. This is deadly serious and often we can kind of skim over this because we're worried this doesn't sound very nice. We, we, in our society, we prefer concepts of toleration to concepts of judgment, although we are an extraordinarily judgmental society in so many ways. But we don't really like to talk about the judgment of God. We try and 
avoid that a lot of the time, but we can't and we shouldn't. The reality is that if people reject God, if they reject the one who is ultimate, the one who is most precious, most beautiful, most deserving of our honour and praise, if they reject him, really they're condemning themselves. The only way to find true wholeness as a human being is to find relationship with God, your creator, to come back into relationship with him. And so to reject him is to condemn yourself. You stand under judgment if you reject God. In Hebrews, Hebrews 10.31, it says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Brothers and sisters, this is serious, deadly serious. Those who reject God, who come under that kind of condemnation, that kind of judgment, it's a dreadful thing. Peter is speaking to us Christians in this letter. He's encouraging us in our suffering. He's encouraging us to stand strong. Who's afeard? Believe, trust. He's also spurring us on to warn those who do not yet know, have not yet received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a real seriousness to this gospel message because a failure to heed it will result in judgment. What we're going through with the coronavirus reminds us of this seriousness. As the government, as the chief medical advisor and others talk about the potential of maybe hundreds of thousands of people dying because of this, we are reminded of the reality of death and the seriousness of that and the responsibility upon us to point people to life in Christ. What wartime does is it sharpens your focus. In wartime, lots of things we thought were essential get stripped away. We've talked about this, I've preached about this over the years, about having a wartime mentality. It's actually really difficult to do in a time of peace. Get into war, suddenly everything changes. Our, our, our whole way of looking at life changes. Things we thought essential no longer feel quite so essential. Things we didn't pay attention to suddenly become very, very important. There is nothing more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ and men and women putting their trust in him, stepping out of judgment and condemnation and coming into life and into glory. John Piper says this, it is astonishing, it's astonishing how uninterested people are in the reality of dying. Few things are more certain and universal. The possibilities for joy and misery after you die are trillions of times greater than in the few years on this earth before you die. Yet people give almost all their energies to making this life secure and almost none to the next. Now perhaps that's going to change as people face the reality of what this virus is bringing. Perhaps the way energies are focused will begin to change a little bit and certainly at this time of such insecurity we need to point people to the reality of what it is eternally sure and secure, life in Christ. Now I hope it's been helpful to go through these verses from uh, Peter's letter. First Peter is such a helpful book. Again, I, I'm just grateful to the Lord that he led us to teach on this book at this time. It's just perfect for us coming into what we've now come into to have been thinking about this theme of being faithful as exiles. So pertinent, so relevant, so 
helpful. At this time, let's be faithful witnesses. Let's pray. We need to pray. To pray for one another, we need to pray for our neighbours, we need to pray for the government. Uh, if you're not yet signed up to our church prayer chain, get on there! Uh, we should all be praying every day anyway, and uh, to be on the prayer chain is a great way to encourage each other. And there's a form where you can write your comments where you feel what God has led you in and what you've been praying for and all that kind of stuff. It's just a great way, again, to stay connected and to cheer each other on. Let's love our neighbours. This is, there's so many opportunities at this time to show love to neighbours, to, to connect with people we haven't connected with before. People, people are looking for friendship, they're looking for security, they're looking for community. We Christians, we're the experts in community. We just do it anyway, and we can help in our neighbourhoods, in our streets, in our roads, in building community. And let's worship God. We have such hope in him. He's so good to us. We have the spirit and the glory of God resting on us. We have such promises we've received and such certainty in which we can live. And so even in the midst of our concerns, anxieties, fears at this time, with all the questions we have, all the things that we know and all the things we don't know, which can be even more alarming, let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let's worship him. Lord, I pray again for us here at Gateway Church that we will be faithful witnesses to you. I pray that at this time, as we're tested, that we would come through this purified, shining with the glory of God more than we ever have before. I pray that we would be ready to witness to you and to welcome people into your church. Yes, Lord, let us not be found wanting at this time, but let us, your people, purified, tested, proven, display our faith as real and true and you as good and loving. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Be strengthened, be encouraged. Let's stay in contact. Let's trust Jesus.